So no, 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 no. <laughs> so this is Divergent Media. Or wait, <laughs> this is Divergent Opinions, episode ten. On this week's episode, a proper introduction with the right episode number by me, Mike. And sitting there quietly, biting his tongue, not screwing up the intro, is Colin. Hey. Look at that. That was good, except for the we part that you screwed that. up. Whatever. So, Some uh, improvement. This week, we've got a variety of topics, nothing uh, super in-depth. Um, we'd love to hear from um, our listeners, all, all one of you, um, about topics you'd like to hear us go more in-depth on, if you want us to like, dig deep on... Uh, particular bits of video technology or you know theory or programming or the mac or the other things that we know a lot about if you want to talk about the uh, alpha twin cam or you know whatever so now now in post are we going to be getting the little beepity boops is that still going now or is that stopped by now you added the little you added the song oh yeah i think that, that colin that will have class uh, original. That will have faded out by now, I think. Okay. I'm gonna have to figure out how we're gonna handle that going forward. Keep making these incremental yeah. improvements and or changes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I like it. It sounds like I don't know. I I imagine that's what it sounds like inside of your head all the time. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I'm Colin, boop, 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 walking down the street. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, man, whatever gets you through the day. Um, so minor things this week. Very well. I mean, minor in the sense of it didn't shake the world, but good news for everyone um, is that some more Thunderbolt gears finally hitting the market. Most notably, the Ultra Studio 3D from Blackmagic, which is the first, as far as I'm aware, the first Thunderbolt capture device to actually start shipping. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and so that's that's good news. Uh, we will eagerly await the arrival of one. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll be getting one of those within the next soon. Yeah. And then we can report a little more on it. But yeah. It seems like a you know. It's just you know good to see some devices starting to come out. Also, uh, Sonnet this week, I'm almost positive it was Sonnet, um, announced a Thunderbolt device to adapt ExpressCard cards um, for Thunderbolt. It's a $150 device, so not super cheap, but not terribly expensive either if you've got a big investment in ExpressCard adapters, which I know some people, um, especially you know, pro photographers and, and people do, um, and obviously because ExpressCard is PCI and Thunderbolt is PCI, it's a, it's a simple conversion. It's not ideal in the sense that I wouldn't rush out and get this and buy an ExpressCard adapter if you want to go to SATA or something because uh, ExpressCard is single lane and so it's going to be pretty slow compared to a true Thunderbolt you know, SATA adapter. But um, a nice little thing if you've got a bunch of SBIS cards or other things that you'd like to be using uh, with your Thunderbolt equipped Mac. Right. I mean, it it's a good way if you need to... So how does that... Has Matrox announced their pricing on there? Because they're going to do something up- similar for... Yeah, I don't think they set a price. Um, at least they hadn't as of NAB. Um, right. And, and is the Sonnet shipping? Yeah. Uh, or at okay, least it's, so that's a good short-term fix if you need to... F- you can definitely order it. I guess I don't know for sure that it's actually going out the door, but um, most of the other Thunderbolt products you can't order yet, so I take that as a sign that uh, it's actually nearby. Oh, uh, ships uh, next month. 
so you can pre-order. So it now. sounds like the chips are actually yeah starting to get out available there. in quantity. Yeah, right. um, I mean that would that seems like that was the hang-up. Right. Right. That's kind of what we both think is that. That's what we've heard. All this stuff has been ready to go, and they've basically just not had the ability to get chips in quantity from Intel. Right, right. And so we'll start to see, I mean, um, you know, the next devices coming from Sonnet are their um, expansion chassis, which are, again, basically, you know, PCI slots with Thunderbolt plugs on them. Um, So some of these more simple things that don't require a ton of engineering, where they're basically bridging PCI to PCI, um, we'll continue to see things like that, and I, th- I think it might be a bit before we see a lot of you know super innovative, fun, pure Thunderbolt devices. But it's cool to you know see the ball starting to roll a bit. Right. So ha- we haven't talked about the Ultra Studio much, have we? I no, don't I don't think so. think so. So it seems like it's a it's a neat little device. I mean, it's a good form factor. Yeah, beautifully engineered. Yeah, it looks really nice. I mean, all of all of their like industrial design seems to be getting really good now. Um, for their like external boxes, right? This is black magic, of course. Um, but how many people? I mean, it's so it's got two video ins. <clears throat> how? I mean that that seems like it's targeting. It seems like there's a second connector on there that's going to mostly lie dormant for most users well unless you're shooting 3d <laughs> like i said it's going to lie mostly dormant for most users right yeah i think that's so i mean true. is it is it that is it that they can't bring the price point down at this point and so they might as well add you know it's four box to add another channel yeah i think because the controllers have the bandwidth because the thunderbolt pricing is still pretty high um you know we've heard in i forget what the hundred dollar range um for the chips then yeah wow um so you know they were instantly looking at a device that you know where their their cost is is relatively high especially compared to you know some of their other things that don't have any large component costs um and so i think yeah they probably made the decision that fpgas are never cheap you're looking at probably 20 bucks in cost for any fpga yeah but but still 100 bucks is spendy yeah i think you know especially for your first device when you know you're going to be early out of the gate and people are itching for the technology why not you know, jack it up, and I think in keeping with Blackmagic's tradition, you know, they wanted to add some extra value there, even though the price is a little bit higher. I mean, it's still only a thousand bucks, which, you know, a few years ago wouldn't even buy you a, a PCI card. Right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, compared to all of the other external PCIe, PCI Express devices, it's a great value. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how they expose those two channels. Um, because right. in their SDK, which I don't think is NDA'd, um, at least, so if it is under NDA, I need all of you to go sign up for the free <laughs> SDK on their website so that we can talk about this. Um, I mean, they've got two classes of multi-channel devices. They've got things like the four-channel card. Right. Um, or the Decklink Duo, which is two asynchronous, um, or um, not asynchronous. It's basically two independent cards on one card, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then they have devices like the Express 3D, where 
those two channels are actually somehow joined together in hardware such that you can record two channels of video from the Express 3D but you can't do something like put one into input mode and one into output mode at the same time sure but you can with the duo um, so it'll be interesting to see how they expose those two channels of video. Yeah. Because I could see it being really useful if you had two, um, you know, like a multiplex two-channel right. card. Um, well, it's also going to be interesting to see how Thunderbolt holds up as people start to really push it into production. Um, because there have been relatively few devices, and so far no horror stories. But uh, I don't think Apple's shipping their Thunderbolt monitor yet. There have been a few of the raids that have slipped out. But, uh, you know, how is you know OS X handling plug and unplug? How are the devices handling it? What, you know, what kind of growing pains are we going to go through with this new technology? Right. I mean, you know, Express Card was always a pretty flaky uh, way of getting devices in. I mean, it, you know, the one good thing about uh, Thunderbolt is that the the uh, mini DisplayPort adapter is not auto-ejecting. Right. <laughs> I, think that, I think that was the single biggest mistake with PCI Express. Yeah, you'd bump it. Was it any time you out. bumped the thing, it would actually it would spit the card out. Right, and then your computer would kernel panic because yeah. uh, it doesn't like PCI devices going away. Yeah, that was a fun fun little uh, adapter. It's a well-designed spec. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to play with one. It should be a fun little device. Yeah, and, uh, you know, hopefully over the next few months, actually, you know, I with um, IDC, IBC coming up here... Um, Hopefully we'll see a few other devices or at least some more shipping estimates. I don't think AJA has said anything about when they plan to ship. Um, they're to yet to be named, and I forget. Phaser? Yeah, but that's just a code name, and that's a dumb code name. So. Oh, you don't like Star Trek? No. Um, what, you know, what's the other one? They have Phaser and... I don't know. Disruptor? I don't know. Taser? I don't know. Um, anyways, I don't think they've announced anything yet, but maybe they will at the show, and, and maybe we'll see a few other things at the show as well. So, if we were going, but we're not. So we'll look at the web. Yeah. Um, so does the Ultra Studio do... Is it, It's a 3G, right? Two channels yeah. of 3G? Yeah. Okay. So we can use that for 2K, from our new Chinese camera. Hey, Mike made a segue. Look at that! Man, Taking over. It this off is a cliff. this oh. is my this is my podcast now. You've yeah. lost control. Fair enough. I wonder if the Ultra Studio comes with a cable, like a Thunderbolt cable. Yeah. <laughs> if it does, I'll bet you it's really crappy. Well, that's that's what I'm wondering. I mean, it seems like it'd be hard to make a crappy Thunderbolt cable that actually worked. No. Just wait. The one with chips with AJA is going to be so much nicer. <laughs> Did you know I heard I heard that they that those um, pigtails for both sets of cards are made by the same yeah. manufacturer. Yeah, they've just set different target price points. Yeah, essentially. Hey. Oh well. You pick you pick your poison. Yeah. Um. They don't say whether they include a cable. We'll have to find out and 
post a scathing review either direction anyways chinese 2k yeah the chinese made a 2k camera like everyone else why are we excited about this i don't know was it only 2k i thought it was 4k it's only 2k i don't understand why anyone cares about 2k explain to me why do we care about 2k it's like 100 extra pixels versus 1080p it's just like having some frame sizes that are a pain to deal with my my theory about this is that most people assume that the 2k 4k denominations are um, vertical sampling uh-huh. And so they think 2K, that's twice as big as 1080. Oh, yeah. See, I think most people think 720, 1080, 2000, 2000 4000. 4000. Okay. But I think we've established on this show that most people are dumb. Wow. You're really you're going for it tonight. I'm on fire tonight. I'm full of corn dogs and deep fried Oreos. I am poisoned oh. with sugar. Oh, God, it's so good. Um, so most people are dumb and think that a 2K camera is twice as good as a 1080p camera. When That's my theory. When in fact, I mean, 2K, you know, gives you whatever, 2,096 pixels or horizontally and then something else vertically. I mean, there have been a lot of 2K cameras on the market, um, like, you know, the Silicon Imaging yeah, that's the name. Silicon Imaging 2K mm. camera. That's found, um, definitely found a market. Uh, you know, I think they've been used, especially in Europe, but I think they've been used on a lot of commercial and, and small film shoots. And they've always targeted themselves both in marketing and in feature set and form factor and just support model um, on the Super 16 startup market. And that always made a lot of sense to me um, to have a, a device that's targeted for people who would otherwise be shooting Super 16 in terms of the you know usage model and everything else um but uh and there there are other people in in the space um and there are a lot of especially in the digital cinema space a lot of sort of 1080p cameras that can also output 2k um because generally you know these sensors you know have lots of extra pixels that aren't necessarily used or some extra pixels so um yeah so yeah, so looking here, ten two K is twenty forty eight by ten eighty. Right, and that's no, so not necessarily same, same width, same height. Right, you're getting aspect an ratio. extra one hundred and twenty pixels, and so right. you're ending up with a slightly wider image. Right. That's just not interesting to me. No, but I mean, if it shoots good looking video, I mean, if sure. it's a if it's good acquisition, then it's basically 1080. Well, but I think this gets us back to the point of um, looking at, because one of our other topics this week is um, Red had a, a variety of announcements. They had a big event on uh, Wednesday night of this week, I think, uh, on their forums where they announced some new software, Red CineX Professional. Maybe it has some extra words after that. Um, and they announced that the Epic X camera, I think, is now shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and Red obviously sort of kicked off this um, resolution war uh, in 2005 or something, quite a, quite a while ago, of right. um, really pushing us beyond 1080p um, in an affordable fashion. Um, and so a lot of other people have gotten into this space, um, both to do affordable high resolution and you know not affordable high resolution. Um, and... I, 
I don't know. I have very mixed feelings about it, and I feel like the time has come and gone where it matters. Why? I think that, you know, while I can certainly understand the interest in capturing as many, you know, as much resolution as you can capture affordably, and I understand that, you know, you want to be besting good 35mm, uh, I think, you know, what we've seen is that a good 1080p camera that puts their research time into things like dynamic range um, and, you know, better handling of, you know, uh, rolling shutter and lots of these other things can actually generate much nicer images when you consider that most display is being done at 1080p at this point. Obviously, there's a preservation argument to be made saying we should be capturing high res and then you can, you know, DI at 2K or something. Um, But... I just, you know, when you look at the cameras on the market right now, you've got the RED, um, but then you've got a bunch of cameras that are really popular, like the Aria Alexa um, and the various Sony cameras and the Panavision versions of those Sony cameras that, you know, shoot 1080p or 2K in in some fashion. Um, But, you know, they've been hugely popular. Right. I mean, Sony has 4K variants of those cameras, too. Do they? Sony... What's the F F one hundred? What's their F S one hundred? What's their new four K camera? They did at NAB. Oh yeah, I should know that because of that thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so they're doing. I mean, Altissima. Everyone's kind of yeah. Oh, it's, it's like a prototype. Everyone's moving up the the gradient. And I mean, it seems to me so. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're targeting video, then then 1080 is probably going to be fine for the foreseeable future. I can see why. I mean, most people are. I mean, if nothing else, your aspect ratio is wrong if you want to go to um, theatrical release on 1080. Well, most people are shooting in a wider aspect than a sixteen by nine. Deal with that with a lens, you know, with an anamorphic lens, which is you know what Ugh. you do. With, well, that's what you do with thirty-five mil. No, thirty-five millimeter three sprocket is well an eight five. Mm, I mean, most people what are shooting. You're shooting, yeah. But most people are shooting three sprocket. Uh, you know, if you're shooting four sprocket, then you're getting you know four by three. Right. Um, you know, one of the other, well, in the space of resolution, I think, you know, one of the things we've seen with, um, the rise of the digital intermediate, um, you know, so if you're not familiar, most things that are still shot on film, which is increasingly few, um, most things that are still shot on film, the film, the first thing that happens is that the film is scanned, um, into digital files. Uh, each frame is scanned into a file and then they're sort of brought into a workflow that does lots of things with them. Um, and with a digital intermediate technology, the idea is that you never touch that film again. It's not like, um, you know, 15 years ago where you would digitize that film through a telecine or something. You'd get it into the computer, you'd do your edit, and then you would match your edit back up to the film and you know take the the physical film through a traditional edit process an online edit where you actually were you know cutting and splicing film or making duplicates or doing all those things printing shots back to film doing a master print you know making um, uh, copies from that and everything that generally doesn't happen anymore 
And right. most DIs, at least, well, not most DIs, a lot of DIs on things shot 35 millimeter are happening at 2K. Um, and so e- even these things that, you know, these big blockbuster movies that are being shot on film still, you know, the highest resolution of a finished product that exists for that film is, is 2K. Right. Although, I mean, they are, I mean, most of them are being projected at 2K right now. Sure. But what I'm saying is that... the is, you know, all of that data is preserved. Well, you're right, right. You know, there's nothing stopping them from conforming to 4K online later. Well... You know, yes and no. What? You scan it to 4K. And then what about like roto work and all that stuff? I mean, it's going to take a lot of manual touch up to go back through and deal with a lot of that. I suppose. But color color corrects and stuff. Sure. And just reapply. Well, I just wonder if it's going to be like, um, you know, one of the things you notice if you've gotten any Blu ray. DVDs, Blu-ray discs, um, is that, you know, there's sort of this wave of quality where movies shot in the 60s that have, you know, had a good transfer look really great. Movies shot in the 80s that have had a good transfer don't look as good because, you know, movie people were using cheaper stock and using more inexpensive, you know, delivery processes and other things before they went digital. Um, and so there's a lot of you know great movies shot in the 80s for which the highest quality possible is just not that great. And I think we're sort of going to face the same sort of thing with some of these um, movies that were, you know, essentially produced at 2K, even though they were shot on nice, you know, Super 35 or something. Right, right. At some point we should do a conversation about DI and how it doesn't really hold up yeah. at home. Yeah. But another time. Yeah. God, have you watched the uh, the Lord of the Rings at home on DVD? Oh God, yeah. <sighs> well, I saw. I actually haven't watched it on DVD, but I saw someone. Wa- I, I was looking over the shoulder of someone watching the HD versions on an iPad, even, and I was like, mm, "Man, Power Windows." Yeah, I was like, "Man, I don't, I don't remember this looking that bad." Like, weren't we really impressed with how good Gollum looked? Like, why does he look like he's sitting on top of the shot? <laughs> Oh, oh I didn't have that problem. I just uh, thought the color, all the color work in it is so, like, on the nose. Uh, it's yeah. like, this shot's going to be really blue. And then, but the faces, they'll be white. You know, they like, oh, so many power windows in that thing, and you can tell where every one of them is. Yeah. I don't know, for some reason, it didn't show in the theater. Well, you know, grain hides a lot. Yeah. Um, so to get back to the original topic, I mean, do you think that we should sort of you know, given given the choice, if you've got a budget for a film, would you rather, you know, go and shoot on something like a Red or something like an Alexa, you know, given the choice between 4K and 2K? I don't know. I mean, workflow, I mean, for me, you know, because of my, because I've got a fairly technical background, I wouldn't be too afraid of the Red workflow. I mean, it wouldn't be a huge impediment to me. You know, it seems like Red is a great camera if you're one of those places, if you're one of those production facilities that likes messing around and zapping your PRAM and <laughs> installing your own graphics cards and that sort of thing. You know, if you're building your own XAN, then you should shoot on Red. If you're, you know, if you're buying Turnkey or renting Avid's Turnkey from someone, you know, you probably should be on the Alexa. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, the, the, 
the look of the two cameras is sort of irrelevant at this point. It's kind of, you know, I, I feel like we've gotten to the point that we're in with digital cameras now, which is, you know, no one really thinks about megapixels anymore just right. because we've passed whatever threshold it was. You know, for a long time that really mattered. And for a long time that mattered on video too. I mean, you know, at, you know these were really important quality jumps yeah you know and I, I'm, I'm still crazy giddy when I hit when I open up a 4k file yeah and it doesn't fit on my 27 inch monitor yeah oh it's so great those are so big when I think I mean you know when you get into particular <laughs> cameras too I think red requires you to be a better filmmaker to deliver good quality content i think you know the alexa from what i've seen and from people i've talked to and and from just reading specs as well you know because it's got some more dynamic range and some more flexibility and some of those things um you know lets you get away with more but i think you know just like you know we joke about people saying you know they need the they need the 4k camera to make their movie you know i think that a talented director cinematographer can make beautiful video with you know a PD-150, and people have. Um, so Right, but it's still going to be, I mean, you can make something very good with a PD-150. You're not going to shoot Lord of the Rings in it. You're not going to shoot, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. going to be jarring if you go to a movie theater and sit down to see, you know, the next blockbuster and it's shot on a PD-150. Sure. I mean, there are, you know, it's... Yes, you can shoot something very good. And, you know, if you have a compelling story, who cares what it looks like? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you've got a giant, you know, in, you know, complex to support, you know, an industry built around this thing and costs that are really not the highest priority, right? Then, then, yeah, I mean, I think there are appearances to be yeah considered at some point maybe we should talk about um sensor design and some of the interesting things people have done there as well because i think that's another interesting way of looking at the space because you know there have been a couple companies sony's actually been doing it's done a lot of really interesting things in sensor design where they've built chips that could be marketed as 4k chips or 8k chips and instead they've used um the extra photosites on that chip to do you know um per color channel sampling or to do you know dual dynamic range sampling or a lot of other interesting things which i think is is another way of looking at the resolution war which is saying you know if the resolution war is mostly about you know packing sensitivity onto you know sensitivity in photosites um onto a given amount of space you know what else can you do with that besides just upping your your sampling rate right how come no one's ever done a a sensor that uses more primaries. I thought uh, someone's got one, don't they? Oh, you know what I mean? Like the equivalent screens. of hexachrome was for CMYK. Right. So I know they should do. Sa- uh, it's not Samsung. What's the other S people? Sanyo, maybe? I don't know. They're, no, they're Panasonic now. Someone's got some monitors that have a fourth channel. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't know about CCDs, though, or CMOS chips. Huh. And the fourth channel's Luma for them, or what? Um, no, it's like yellow. A, yeah, yellow. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. 
that seems like a way to go. Yeah. So, anyways, well, there's a lot of interesting next, stuff in next. Space. Yeah. Uh, next week we can do CMOS versus well, see, Tube. Yeah, and we can talk about. <laughs> Here they're coming back. You don't like want to me there. Remember not to leave it pointed at the sun. Because they burn. I know. Yeah. I was just completing that thought for you. Because you forgot. So, uh, what else? This week. Um, hey, What's you want- our, what is our runtime at right now? Uh, I don't know how to look at that. Hold on. 34 minutes ish. Oh, there it is. 30 I minutes. Mouse over at you and then it shows up. Okay. So we're doing good. Yeah. We're doing real good. I'm just getting closer and closer to this microphone. I just, yeah, no, I can hear I it. I like it. All right, I'm going to back up. I'm backed up now. Okay, good. We're going to have to talk about gamma sometime. You can explain gamma. Oh, there's a really good, there's some good papers coming out on gamma. I've, re- I've, I've read a lot of good papers on gamma and then 10 minutes later I could not explain gamma. <laughs> Oh, I, I get it, and I linear light. It's all about linear light. I get it, but I can't explain it. So that's why you're gonna have to explain it, and then I'll say, "No, oh, yeah, now I get it." Okay, we'll do that another time too. Yep. Just see that with sensors. Should be taking this down. I'm gonna add this to our notes file. We're so productive. Uh, gamma sensors. All right. Um, hey, you want to buy a copy of Final Cut Studio 3? It's out again. Hey. We should discuss that. So now that Steve's gone, we can we, we go back to the good old Apple. Yeah. No longer. Uh, no longer hates pros. pros. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the deal is? Uh, as of today, uh, Thursday-ish, uh, Final Cut Pro Studio 3, Final Cut Studio 3, is for sale again you can call apple and um it may make its way into the stores the the online store at some point it sounds like it's making its way back to some retailers as well uh a thousand bucks gets you final cut studio 3 i mean i think we we talked about so so they dropped the price too no it's been a thousand for a while oh hasn't it i don't know i thought it was more like two no it was like 12.99 but i thought it went down to a thousand whatever it's about what it cost it's a lot more than Final Cut X, but less than uh, replacing your whole workflow. Um, when when we talked about Final Cut X initially, I think we both agreed that it was crazy for them to not be selling Final Cut Studio 3 anymore for all of the people who just need, you know, seats to maintain existing right. workflows and whatever else. So to me, this is sort of, I, I mean, the shocking thing is that it took them two months to do this, not that they actually did it. Apple always moves slow to respond to user outrage yeah i mean i think part of that is because so many people react to all of apple's moves with outrage um you know they've kind of gotten used to anytime they announce something everyone's saying that'll never work right um and so i think they i think it's customary for them to take two months to see if it really is true right um and so yeah i mean i i assume they've been planning this for a while now well there's a couple ways to read into it i mean you know one is that yeah it's a logical thing and they just did it but obviously there's a lot going on at apple right now right i yeah i mean i wonder if it's you know steve's not looking quick let's do it 
Well, and there's also a couple ways to to interpret the move. Um, you know, obviously, if you're a new CEO, actions like this are easy ways to build goodwill um, among you know vocal minorities because this doesn't really cost Apple anything, and it's a good way to sort of show you know to do something that makes them look good. Um, but it, you know, you could also interpret this as not having real belief in the future of Final Cut, and you know saying whatever put it back on sale and um we're not gonna keep pushing this product forward i mean i think the 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 silence around final cut x for the last two months may be telling but again it's apple so you can interpret it every possible way right i mean i think strategically it makes a lot of sense to do it one because they needed something to fill that gap um other than premiere and Right. Media composer. Um, and two, I think it makes a lot of sense um, as a way. I mean, they had a, they have a, a bit of a chance here with the, the leadership change to sort of signal a mea culpa. Right. I mean, whether or not they mean it, they can buy themselves another year. By just being like, oh no, I'm you know Tim, I'm different. Right. Don't leave yet. Things are gonna change. I promise. I'll never hit you again. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's maybe you know it might just be that craven. It might be a simple business decision to not you know to try to keep money out of their competitors' hands for another year. Right. In the, in the hopes that they can get X to somewhere. Right. I mean, I think this is a good thing one way or the other because it, you know, reduces yeah, the pain way it point makes sense. for people. But I think it makes me all the more eager to see some move on Final Cut X, to see a, a point one release, to see the API come out, um, to see yeah, them... you posted about that today. Yeah. Uh, just to see them make, make it clear that they are committed to this product and because I think it's a great product and I'd like to see them, you know, what they're they're all into it um i posted to one of the apple mailing lists i think probably pro apps uh, perhaps dev just asking for an update on this this sdk this api that we talked about last week um saying you know we're two months on from when you guys said it was going to be out in a few weeks what's the deal um and got a follow-up saying uh that it's still coming it's taking longer than expected and you know they don't have a date which right. you know with apple again sometimes means it's still coming they don't have a date and sometimes means it's been discontinued but it's not politically expedient to or politically you know correct to announce it at this time right so it's you know it's all you know watching the it's all criminology um so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It, um, I mean, I think the... You I know, can't imagine... I mean, they have to go forward on X, right? What else are they going to do? Go back and start producing incremental improvements to 7? No, just Studio 3? Just touch about it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, seems like... I mean, they put a lot of money, yeah. a lot of development time into X. I would think they would... I mean, I guess they cannibalize it and make it motion, but I don't know. I don't know either. We will see. Well, you know, I think what we really need to do is to uh, 
have you head down to Cupertino and uh, start drinking with some engineers and see if they'll like leave a copy of Final Cut X one dot one on on the bar. You think they do that? They bring that to the bar? Yeah, on like USB sticks. Uh, not not like boxed product. <laughs> I guess Apple doesn't box product anymore. Yeah, no, I think the only time software exists in boxes now is on um, pirate software websites that make fake boxes. They make fake boxes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like those. I know, right? They look good. We should have boxes for our software. Those big boxes that used to get at Best Buy, not the the little ones. Not the DVD packs, but like the the big ones. Where there'd be like a warranty card and the the jewel case would be like rattling around in there and yeah maybe a t-shirt i don't think i ever got a t-shirt in a box some games i got had t-shirts and we'd have like lots of really cool graphics on the box that didn't correspond with the application at all Mm. like artwork and stuff what was the biggest box you ever got i mean besides studio yeah final cut studio creative suite um (laughs) i had i worked with someone who uh placed a uh site license order for it yeah apparently they don't apple does will sell you a site license but they don't they still ship you i don't know somehow they got a box for every single site their license it was like a 300 unit site license and they got sent a box for each one now this was when the boxes were like a foot by eight inches by a foot well because you used to get printed there was a three volume printed manual for final cut and then like some supplemental manuals too and especially before they went to um i guess was it called final cut studio when you would get like yeah you got dvd studio and everything and so you'd get like a dvd studio manual and a motion manual and a live type manual and a cinema tools manual and yeah compressor what else did they used to ship they used to ship a lot of things so yeah, that was I, yeah. I don't I don't think I ever really got anything else on that scale. You know, the the Creative Suite box was also quite sizable. Yeah, Strata Studio had a good box. Mm. I remember you used to have some big software boxes. What was the, was Strata the 3D thing? Yeah, yeah. Big I, purple I, I, box. I think I remember that box. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, so Final Cut is on sale and. Uh, you know, if you need it, you should probably buy it because who knows how long until they change their mind again. You know, Tim got a so, call from Steve, and so I think we've got one day where we can buy a copy of Final Cut Studio and then quick cross grade it to Media Composer. <laughs> There's one more day to that. Should we do that? I, we probably should have both of those. I guess. Or at least you know. What I mean, do you have to do to Studio? But we need. Media composer. What do you have to do to cross grade? I'm sure you like send them your. I don't know. I'm you sure, probably, nothing. You probably yeah, just a test. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying I shouldn't even buy Final Cut, just buy. Well, you've bought Final Cut before, right? <clears throat> yeah. Sure. I got one. Um. Yeah. No. We should get. Hmm. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah. So um, you. Speaking of buying things, you bought a bunch of stuff for your computer over the last uh, week or two. Oh, yeah. So, first off, switch to Lion. Lion's good. Yeah. I for like anyone it. else who's done it and gone back, it's like jumping in a very cold lake. Don't, don't think about it. 
no don't I'm, dip your toes at all just jump i'm really happy with it quite honestly like it works yeah. you know there's a Deal few with all the cramps there's a few things that i don't love i'm really happy that i got um erica sadoon from everywhere um released a little app called something i apparently have deleted it um Oh, no, here it is. It's called Resuminator, which lets you on a per-app basis control whether apps um, reload the documents you were working on when you launch them. So if you're, for example, someone who is constantly opening files in QuickTime, files that maybe don't work that well in QuickTime, um, it's very nice to not have QuickTime then try and reopen those corrupt files when you relaunch QuickTime. Um, similarly... Oh, yeah, pre- but that preview. sucks with the testing. Yeah. yeah. Similarly with preview, um, <coughs> it's nice to not have, like, the random screenshot you had opened last time. Because I'm someone... I You know, my my default when I'm done with an app is Command-Q and quit it. And, you know, maybe that's another habit to break. But, um, you know, that's what I do. And so then I like turning off resume. Right. Yeah, so we should talk about... So the big change in Lion is... They've really mucked with the idea of documents and windows. Yeah. So when you open a document in an app in the past, it like you double click on a document, it opens the app, you use it for a while, you quit the app, and it's gone. Um, and you're sort of back to your base state again. What happens in Lion is applications keep track of all of their open windows, including windows that are open at the time of clo- of quit. And the next time you launch them, they restore that state, which is great when you're when you quit the app. It's great when you didn't quit the app, like when the app crashed or you restarted the machine, or you you know put the machine to sleep and forgot about it in the closet for six weeks and it the battery ran out. You know, in that case, when you restart, you want all of you know the fact that your computer launches and you get everything back to the state it was in. You know before the restart that's great however you know i think most of us quit apps you know use apps on a per document basis where you launch an app by clicking on a document quit the app quit you know quit the document by quitting the app right and the idea that the next time you launch the app it's like oh look here's this file you remember that one um you know like it, to the point where if you double click on another app and it opens both the last app you had open and that new one in the app when it starts up it's really right. sort of disconcerting right um and so, i feel like there's two modes for using application i mean i feel like apple needs to make this a little bit more subtle yeah well or or you know maybe we I mean just it really need to it should work habits. i think it should work like good old fashioned final cut what? Where if you double click a project file, it opens the project file. If you double click the app, it opens the last project file. Right. Yeah, I think like, that's how it should. If if all apps work like that, so double clicking an app launches the app that opens that file, and opens it, right. and not other stuff. That would be perfect. That sounds like the ideal compromise to me. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of logic that maybe needs some tweaking. And and, and again, maybe it is something that some, we have to change a little bit in that instead of quitting apps, we should be quitting documents with, you know, Command-W instead of Command-Q because now 
Lion is managing which applications are open and you know optimizing things like that by doing things like terminating your app in the background. Um, and so to some level, to some, well, and uh, but again, as more apps get on board with opting into some of these more aggressive types of quitting, um, where they can say, you know, not only can you let me know and I'll shut down, you can actually, you know, terminate me without even giving me a chance to do anything and, and all that stuff. Plug when right. you want. Um, and I think there's been some confusion as well about what's, um, you know, auto app termination based on memory pressure and what is just some new behavior. So for example, if you launch text edit in Lion um, and you get the default blank window and you close that window and then click away and you see text edit quit, that's not as in my understanding, that's not the, uh, you know, memory pressure auto app termination thing going on. That's just a new behavior for NS document applications. And anytime you have no windows open and the app is auto quittable, it will quit. Right. But it's, it's not, if there's no, if there's no Chrome on the screen to, to, to alert the user that an app is open, the app will be quit when right. Just as soon as possible, basically. Right. And some people have not, been happy with that uh, for good reason because sometimes you do open text edit and then you like click back to finder to grab the document you want that you're going to drag down to the icon or something um, and so it kind of sucks that text edit quits but again I think that's just a behavior it's not the, the way if you want to if you want to get a better sense of the um, the termination um, you can use a small application called Talagent um, but it's actually Talagent um, Oh yeah. That is in slash system slash library slash core services, I think. Um, you can find it. Anyways, um it's got a switch on it called like simulate memory pressure and it will cause the the symptoms to occur which actually not kick off this auto app termination and you can see how what that does differs from this sort of just auto quitting the app when you tab away stuff. Um and it is it is different, so Right. Um so the other big thing that they did in Lion is versions, and I have not run into that in any apps yet. I've run into it a little bit in um, like preview, uh, where I've opened a preview document that I haven't touched for a while, and then gone to make a change, and it said, "Do you want to create a version for this, um, or do you want to create a duplicate of this, or unlock this, um, or you can yeah browse the different versions of it?" Um, but not running into it too much at this point. Right. It seems like that's going to take a little while to adopt. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's a pretty confusing system. Um, it's a weird system. It's, it's yeah. very, you know, certainly disconcerting the first time you go to edit an app or a document that you had, um, you know, you haven't touched for a while, but you're ready to make a change, and you start typing, and instead you get this modal alert that says, what do you want to do? Do you want me to make a copy? Do you want me to unlock this? I, I, you know, I think it's a little heavy-handed because... And again, maybe this is just, you know, we're quote unquote pro users. Um, but for me, you know, when I make changes to a document, it's because I want to make changes to a document, not because I'm accidentally mashing the keyboard. And so. Well, yeah, I mean, for me too, except when I screw up. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you started making changes? I mean, how many times in Photoshop have I started making changes to a document with the idea that I would save as and then forget to save as and sure. blow over? Yeah, but I think in those cases, you know, that's what versions are for. I don't think this whole... I, I just... I don't entirely get the whole locking mechanism. 
I mean, it's something you do need to do if you're doing versioning. Yeah. I mean, if you don't allow, if you don't allow save as. Because the problem is with save as, what you're trying to do is implicitly not save changes to the current file. Right. And there's no way to do that in an autosave environment. Sure. I mean, unless you let people. I mean, yeah, it would be a little messy to do that another way. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of edge cases to deal with when you're doing something like this. Um, you know, I sat in on this. Oh, wait, uh, that's indeed. Um, anyways, there's a lot of edge cases that are, uh, you're, you know, be happy that Apple's dealt with as many as they have, but there's certainly a long way to go in making this system really robust for desktop use. Right. I mean, it would be nice to get to the point where we had some sort of, like, revision tree. Yeah. No, you I, could just drag a file out at a certain revision and be like, this is a new file. Right. So you also um, upgraded the RAM and drive on your machine. What do you think of that stuff? Uh, yeah, no, I got this because I was trying to do... Um, Apple used to have an, a great application for developers called Shark. It was for performance optimization. And the idea is you do a number of things, but you know, you basically used it with an app that you were writing, and it would tell you perform like really in-depth performance information about that running debug version of your application so it would tell you like what calls and you know what specific lines of code were taking what percentage of time during the application so for an app like Scopebox where you're running in a loop and you're basically every frame has the same thing done to it repeatedly it's it's great because it gets lots and lots of samples of the same thing happening over and over again and it sort of bins them all together and it says okay so you know running this app for 10 seconds you know, with your with the video source open and these palettes open, these are the most expensive calls in the program. And you can be like, oh, I didn't even know I was converting from YUV to RGB. Why is that happening? And then you can dig in and be like, oh, I'm tagged this thing wrong and it was causing it to convert it to one color space and back. Or, oh, I see I'm doing a gamma shift even though I don't need to. And that's taking, you know, two seconds out of that 10 seconds over, you know, the various frames. Right. And so, great app. And it's been instrumental in the sort of crazy performance gains we've been able to get. But in scope box over the years deprecated sometime in the late 80s um, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> but it was the only thing available so so app has for years now had a new all-in-one soup nuts everything you need to you know debug and profile your application called instruments it used to be called x-ray and now it's called instruments but it still has an x-ray for an icon um and, you know, they every time someone is like, well, Shark has this bug, they say, well, you shouldn't be using Shark anymore. And someone, you know, and the person will reply, but but it's the only thing it does what I need. And they say, file bugs, and we'll add whatever you need to instruments. Um, and so year after year after year, they've been adding more and more parts of Shark. And so finally, I switched to, to, to Lion, and between... Well, actually, well, no, it was even back in Snow Leopard. It was yeah. just um, because of some of the changes under the hood in Scopebox now, we don't um, we don't generate the easiest to profile um, source code. 
And so I would run Shark on it to try to figure out a performance issue. And I'm like, this should be, you know, from my mathematical models, this should be running twice as fast as it is. So obviously we're hitting some, you know, bottleneck and I need to find it. So I'd run Shark and Shark would just chug for a while and then crash. Every time. It'd be like, okay, you want me to sample that? Okay. And it would sample it. And then it would say, okay, let me just look through this a little bit and draw the window and then crash every time. So it was obviously time to switch to something that was still supported. So I switched to instruments. Instruments was, you know, it was game. It didn't crash. But I think I was about two and a half hours into resizing the window (laughs) on that first trace I did when I realized that 8 gig of RAM was not going to cut it. So, did the overnight order, 32 gig of RAM, decided to get an SSD at the same time, switched everything to Lion. And, it, you know, it runs much faster. Instruments is actually usable now. And we found and fixed, you know, I was able to find and fix the bottleneck that we were seeing in the new beta. And, you know, it's nice. So uh, it was one of those great performance. Oh, I love doing. I love optimizing stuff. This was one of those great cases where you can get something to run faster with less CPU. Mm. Yeah, that that was a pretty good deal. Half as much everything. Um. So yeah, thirty-two gigs of RAM. You now feel like that's enough. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I have to say, I don't really. I. I guess it's because I haven't used a machine with a hard drive since. Yeah. But I'm not feeling any major performance changes. Sure. I'm guessing that's because I've already acclimated. Yeah. I'm yeah, the kind I mean, of guy were, who drive a car is always accelerating. If you were to boot back to yeah. your Snow Leopard off of a hard drive, I think you would find that you would just be frustrated with how long, you know, Xcode takes to launch. And um, I don't know. Yeah, that part is really nice. Because I'm the kind of person who quits apps anytime I close, like right. I switch away from them. Right, right. I don't want to think about this right now. Quit. That's yeah. uh, that's me too. And with the SSD, that's realistic. I mean, yeah, I'm a big, big fan, big fan. Yeah, it's been nice. And you just ordered. You got the like OWC, um, whatever their recommended SSD was, right? You didn't go crazy. Yeah, no, I just got OWC's in-house. Yeah. Uh, Max Sales branded. Yeah, uh, it's a two forty gig, so it wasn't bad. It was like under three something, I think, four something. Yeah, yeah, they're, 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 high, they're but good it wasn't people. outrageous. There are people who who spend far too much time obsessing about uh, SSD chipsets and things like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I totally believe that there's benefits to be seen in getting the crazy whatever the. I don't. I don't even know what the the hot new SSDs are, but I feel like for most people, getting something that's affordable and you know is recommended by a, a reputable company like OWC um, is definitely the way to go. And if you're you know if you've got like a year or two year old Mac, you know a, an iMac or a MacBook Pro, and you feel a little handy, you know moving you know dropping the two hundred or three hundred bucks on an SSD and moving over to that um, will you know make it feel like a new machine, especially you know. Do an SSD, get your RAM up to at least four gigs. Um, for normal users, I think four is about right. Um, yeah. You will, you know, find that your machine, you know, lasts you a little bit longer than you might have thought. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be, 
you know, it doesn't make your machine faster, but it makes, you know, it drastically changes the perception. Yeah. You know, apps launch faster. I mean, when you're well, in an app, it doesn't seem to change anything. Well, because the, the real disbound things are launching your computer and launching apps. Right. The reality is that the way most people use computers, they're almost never CPU bound. They're right. memory bound exactly. and and disk bound. And, and if you're memory bound and so you're thrashing, you know, swap on disk, that's even worse. Um, and so, you know, I think that for most people, they would be much, you know, for example, if you're going to buy a new Mac, I think you're much better off ordering the Mac with, you know, the SSD and some extra memory rather than bumping up to the, you know, Core i7 from the Core i5 if you're not a serious video person and you're not, you know, going to be doing a lot of CPU intensive stuff. Um, or, you know, and especially if it's just the distinguishment between, you know, a 1.83 and a 1.9 gigahertz chip or something. Um, right. You know, those upgrades almost never make sense, but especially for a normal user, do that only if you can also afford the SSD and the memory. Yeah, I think you buy the base CPU until until you've got those other two things. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten a little... It used to be really easy to say that, especially back in the PowerPC days. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's a little harder now that, um, you know, you've got these great options from Intel, like the Core i7 with hyper-threading and, you know, maybe quad cores on one CPU and all that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good options out there. But get an SSD, yeah. get some memory. You'll be happy, especially yeah. If you if you have a, a an older machine and you're not ready to be thinking about a new one, um, I think it's a very worthwhile upgrade. I put you know, I guess I got this Mac with an SSD, but I just added eight gigs of RAM to it, and it's much nicer. Yeah, no, I'm very happy with these purchases. So uh, you also bought a 3D monitor. That was oh uh, yeah, no, this uh, this showed up unannounced. Yeah, unannounced. I got the uh, the LG. What is it? The D2342. It's a. Uh, it's really nice, actually. I don't. I mean, it sits on my desk. It's a. What's nice about it is it's a computer monitor that you. I mean, you could imagine this being sort of the you know. A fairly standard monitor purchase yeah. going forward for someone. I mean, if if you're not the kind of person who has to buy an Apple monitor every time, because right. I don't see Apple ever doing this. Right. But if you're a Best Buy and you're monitor shopping, um, it's really nice. I mean, it was it was three hundred dollars, I think three eighty yep. yeah, somewhere in there. Three fourteen on uh, Amazon right now. I mean, and, yeah. and so it's a 23 inch monitor. So if you were 23 inch 1080p monitor, right, takes so in DVI yeah. and HDMI. And what's great about it is it's passive. And they so it's you know it's plenty bright. What they've basically done is every alternating line they've put alternating polarizing filters on. So one's you know left. You know, clockwise polarization. The other is, you know, one scan line down is counterclockwise, and uh, it alternates. You know, on your innerless lines, and so if you're just looking at it without um, glasses on, it's like a regular 1080p monitor, and you get the full resolution, and there's no weird, you know, problems like you get with many of the other monitors. Um, and so it's just when you put in when you put on uh, 
polarized glasses, you each eye sees half vertical resolution. Right. Um, and that's a little jarring visually. It's I mean, it's not the best 3D effect because you need to be far enough away that your eye sort of blends those two scan lines together. Otherwise, it's like comb effect yeah. for different eyes, which your head has a bit of a hard time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I sat at it a bit um, this last weekend. Um, you know, initially I thought it was kind of grainy, but I think in, in hindsight that's just because it was next to your 27-inch cinema display, which has a much higher pixel density. Right. Um, and I think it's just that, you know, an old, a 23-inch 1080p monitor is, you know, kind of crappy nowadays when you get right. that resolution on a laptop or something. But other than that, the, br- the brightness was fine, yeah. And the 3D effect... You know, I don't love 3D, but it seemed it seemed fine. I mean, and for the purpose you're going to be using it for, it, it makes a ton of sense. It's, um, you know, it's it's. I find the whole thing very strange. This whole idea that we're gonna like the way we feed 3D from a computer to a monitor digitally is by like, you know, agreeing that this scan line is this eye and the scan line is that eye, and we're gonna interlace things, and it just feels so like, I don't know. Well, I don't think that's actually the plan. I mean, so that's just sort of a product of the way the monitor's built. I think the proper way to send a 3D signal to it is with HDMI 1.4, where it actually sends two separate signals. I mean, I'm pretty sure the monitor, if you're sending it 3D HDMI, will actually interlace the video for you. Okay. Well, that's a little better. But I mean, it's just as a product, you know, there's no way for them to turn off the fact that every other line is separate polarization. Right. Because that's. So if you draw something to the screen that way, you'll get sent to the opposite eyes. Sure. I mean, and they have, I mean, they actually have software for doing some of this, but it's, of course, Windows only. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see, you know, a not too. F- distant future where this is the technology that all TVs are made with. Sure. Because there doesn't seem to be any... I mean, if you're building a 1080 screen, the cost is really the only downside. And it seems like they're driving the cost down pretty effectively now. Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah, there aren't too many cases in which you end up looking at something through polarizers um, that you don't... You know, unexpectedly. Um, occasionally... Uh-huh you've probably experienced when you, you know, are trying to look at a device while wearing sunglasses and you think the screen's broken because you're looking at it at the wrong angle um, and and it looks blank. Um, But that's pretty rare. Right. And that happens with all screens too. Sure. I mean, so it seems like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This would just... just, You would just, just, instead of not seeing everything, yeah, you would only see half. That's So it's better. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a really good solution going forward. I mean, if they put this in every TV... Sure. And make it a very, you know, if they can hide the cost in the TVs, I think that would be, I think we could see widespread adoption of 3D Well, in the home. Maybe. Right. You know, just in time for everyone to have lost interest. Right. Well, but, you know, that's how these things usually go. I mean, it, it'll, yeah, you know, takes the time. fad is over and then it becomes mainstream. Right. Well, but Apple's building a TV next year, they say, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they say. Okay. They say lots of things. They do. 
Should we wrap things up? Yeah, I think we can do that. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. We got to do our thing. We missed. Oh, we forgot to do it last time. I don't have a thing. You do a thing, and I'm going to find a thing. Okay. I. You deleted it from the file. What? Oh, man. So, yeah, before we leave, let's... Uh, Let's quick do our suggestions. Little quick uh, dessert course. Right. Something to leave people with. Something to talk about. We've explained this like seven or eight times now, so maybe. Right, but that's the only one we're going to leave in. You're going to edit everything else I mentioned. <sighs> God, this is so bad. Why do we even do this? What's your thing? You should leave this to professionals. Yeah. So, uh,. I wanted to uh, send people to a website. Um, check out Jens Hesse, J-E-N-S-H-E-S-S-E. Um, it's a painter. I believe it's a guy, um, Scandinavian of some sort. Um, the paintings are all of video distortion so it's a series of paintings all of which have either like satellite type dropouts or macro blocking um they're i don't know it's a, it's an interesting homage to video problems yeah and it's funny to see them in uh it's like uh, they're all data moshed, but they're but they're oil paintings. Right. Um, and yeah. It seemed like a a funny uh, yeah mixed it'd, media. It'd of be sorts. Uh, fun to see in real life. So if any of you are, um, uh, oh, it's closed. Never mind. There's nowhere to see these. Genshesi.com. Um, and I was going to oh, talk yeah. about, uh, just very briefly that our friend George Lucas, um, who apparently just doesn't want me to have a, a good memory of childhood, uh, is in anticipation of the pending release of the original Star Wars trilogy on Blu-ray has apparently gone back and, uh, screwed with them some more having already screwed with them, uh, a few times in the intervening years, he's gone back and like dubbed in extra dialogue and added blinking to Ewoks and, uh, a variety of other things that I cannot see any possible explanation for besides the fact that he has lost all ability to, um, understand why these movies are important to people and, I don't know. I, I I don't understand his thinking because you can spend all the time you want sort of going back and making these little tweaks to the movies, but they still look like movies that were shot in the 70s. And Yeah, I mean, I don't... It's almost like he... I don't know. You would think he um, makes money either way and he would right. want to do something new. Right. I think, and, you know, he's nothing new to make. In any case, stop it. Someone should go back and, uh, I don't know. Has anyone done a thing where they highlight every single change? Uh, probably. They're like all a diff? Yeah, they're all can you get crazy. Can you get a visual people. diff of the two? That'd be kind of fun to watch. Because I'll bet you there are really tiny things that no one's noticed. Yeah. 
Well, someone's noticed, but the, yeah, this is Star the Wars rest of us about. wouldn't have noticed. We were too busy hanging out with girls. Except me. Yeah. But I mean, you know, metaphorical girls. So yeah, uh, I think that does it for this week. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about sensors. Gamma. Let us know. Do you have anything else? Sounds like a plan. See you next week. See ya.